Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. You are now listening to the Half a Bird Sports Show. Welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show. You have so many options for high-flying entertainment, yet you chose to ride with us. We appreciate that. It's the Solo Weekend Show, so you get your boy Jay to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few surprises. You can find us on WMQGRadio.com Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So today, I'm going to sit here and talk about the reasons why I depend Sam Presti overly hard, Rich Paul's hurting feelings, man. Come on, y'all. Players are going broke, but Chris Paul's got some ideas, y'all. Following all up, that's about it, y'all. So let's jump right into it. Right here. So I appreciate y'all jumping on here. As usual with me here on the Half a Bird Sports Show, this is the Solo Weekend Show, so it's all me, Jay, coming to talk to you guys about uh, the things that uh, are on my mind as well as talk out the side of my neck. Check us out, you know, Tuesdays and Saturdays, noon Eastern on WMQGRadio.com. So I wanted to kind of jump right into it. Uh, so today we had um, press conferences. Actually, over the last few days, we've had a few. Uh, and there's a few of them that have really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. First and foremost, the Clippers had their introductory uh, press conference with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard coming out talking about you know playing for the Clippers and wanting to be Clippers and stuff and the thought process behind they've always wanted to be Clippers which I feel bad for um, Paul George on this in a way not too much but I do because everybody pulled out the receipts on him because he's talking about how he always wanted to be a Clipper he was a Clippers fan as a child and all this jazz is funny to everybody because the receipts say during his documentary he created to re-sign with Oklahoma City, he sat down with Dwayne Wade and was talking about how he was always a Laker fan and always wanted to play for the Lakers. So it's funny how his tone changed as soon as he got to that point and was wanting to talk about being a Clippers fan when in all actuality, he talked about being a Lakers fan and wanting to play for the Lakers. So nobody kind of knows what's true. Um, That was the first lot everybody pointed out. And then the second one was he was talking about how the transition from the Thunder to the Clippers was a mutual one between himself and the organization and everything. And of course, Sam Presti came in to his presser today and immediately kind of hit that right over the head and said, um, yeah, about that. I wouldn't agree with that term. I wouldn't say that that was a mutual thing because it wasn't, it wasn't mutual. There was no, Oklahoma City never had interest in trading him at all or Russell Westbrook. But because he kind of pressured his way out, he got what he wanted and Oklahoma City decided to move on. So 
that happens. It's kind of what it is. It's the way life works. And I'm not mad at um, Paul George for his decision to go. But if anything, I kind of feel like I need to defend Sam Presti. Like 100%. Because everyone seems to definitely be attacking him the most right now because he did this. He allowed this to happen. And everybody's trying to figure out why. I'll explain my perspective on that right here. So, rebuilds suck. 100%. I agree. They're terrible. Um, I don't, similar to Sam, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic you know, as Jimmy, you tell you, I'm a pretty optimistic person. Um, I have pessimism when it comes to people, uh, but for the most part, overall, in my overall outlook of life, I'm very optimistic. And so I always try to see the glass half full instead of half empty, realizing that I've got more uh, to come forth than I do less time on this earth. So when Presty talks about how this really isn't a rebuild and he kind of talks about just replenishing and re and refocusing everything and repositioning, I'm with him. I'm with him because I trust him. I trust that he will put out there a product that we want. Um, and, and he will put out there, he will, he will put out there the product that we want, or he will die trying. And that's the, that's the, the proofs of the pudding when it comes to him. Um, and so the other thing behind that is, is us as Thunder fans and NBA fans in general have been spoiled by the success of Sam Presti and the Thunder. Now his success doesn't include a ring, but at the same time success include a lot of wins a lot of wins that aren't very common with your small market teams. I mean, outside of us, the other small market team that's really been showing a lot of success. I mean, in the last 20 years would probably be between Indiana and San Antonio and Indiana doesn't have any rings. Indiana was just always in the mix. And to be honest, Indianapolis is not a small market like that. Now, San Antonio, I guess you could say kind of is, but it really isn't either. Oklahoma City is the second smallest market in the NBA. If I'm correct, there's, they're right above either Memphis or Charlotte. I'm not sure which one. I have to really look that up. But Oklahoma City is a small market. And Sam Presti, in his presser today, kind of talked about how small market teams are at a disadvantage. Um, just And that's just how it is, you know. Um, but the beauty of it is, is that he didn't, um, he didn't talk about that that was it. Like he didn't stop there and say, well, we're at a disadvantage and that's just sucks for us. Like, you know, we we're, we're at a disadvantage and life sucks. No, he didn't. He actually talked about how we have to be more creative with the things that we do. We have to be more agile and talk and, and, and talk through the way the operations have to work. And so the direct quote is Oklahoma seed expects and deserves extraordinary success. Delivering this is what drives us, but I want to be transparent and realistic about the process that meeting these types of expectations may require. Despite our city's rapid growth, rapid rise in growth, Oklahoma city remains the second smallest market in the NBA. While this brings many benefits, it also poses strategic challenges. Given the way the league system is designed, small market teams operate with a significant disadvantages. There's no reason to pretend otherwise. This is no way, meaning we cannot be extraordinarily successful. We and several other small to medium market teams are our own best examples of the ability to overcome these realities. It simply means we must be thinking differently, optimistically finding our advantages by other means. Now, a lot of the jokes out there are, you know, well, the the Thunder wants to be successful. Then you basically need to find as many players on the clearance rack and hopefully put together the flyest outfit at the prom. I mean, all jokes aside that, I mean, I get that sentiment, but 
the proof with Sam Presti is that he has always done what's needed to be done to find a way to get really good players. I mean, first and foremost, he drafted three straight players, which is very hard to do. I don't even think that any team has drafted three straight drafts good in any position, but his were all top five picks that hit. I mean, went from Kevin Durant to Russell Westbrook to James Hart, back to back to back. So he had three picks in a row that ended up being really good players. And he drafted Serge Ibaka later in the round with um, Russell Westbrook. And so his goal was building the team as well as possible to position themselves to be successful. Now, when it comes to that, Presti never, he didn't fail due to the lack of trying. We're not talking about Ernie Grunfield, who was the uh, president of operations for the Washington Wizards for like, what, 17 years? And as Bomani Jones always points out, is that the Washington Wizards or slash Bullets have not won more, have won out won 50 games in his lifetime. And that dude's almost 40. I'm 36, so that tells me, yeah, they've never won. I went back and looked, they've never won 50 games in my lifetime. That tells you something that was poorly ran. It was just poorly ran. That's just how it works. And then at the same time, they had, you know, the gun issues and stuff with Agent Zero and Javaris Critton and all that crazy mess, but they were poorly ran. And that's something that Presti doesn't, hasn't done. Now, if you look at the draft itself and the thing, and the players he's tried to acquire, it's not that easy to hit in the draft. I mean, it's very rare you find players outside of the top five that are actually worth something unless they're going to a team that doesn't really – that needs them. Let me correct myself. They need them. Like, they need a star player. They need a player to take over. They need a player to take all the shots. Great example. I always mention Donovan Mitchell. He's a great example of what happened in Utah. The only reason why Donovan Mitchell was able to excel the way he did is because Gordon Hayward's gone. And that doesn't – and that's no knock on Donovan Mitchell because Donovan Mitchell is a monster – and he has great potential. Uh, I'm really high on him. Not a lot of people are, but I'm pretty high on him. I think that he has great potential with it, but he, but he is a volume shooter. He's, he's, a, he's a volume shooter, so we have to see if he can you know, maintain and get more efficient and get better uh, on the court. But he's one example. Kawhi Leonard, he was drafted to the San Antonio Spurs. Actually, the Spurs acquired him via trade because the Pacers drafted Kawhi Leonard. And San Antonio decided, you know what? Hey, we could use a young guy to help us as our players are aging. And it was the perfect scenario for Kawhi Leonard because guess what? Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili were all aging out. They were. Kawhi got one ring with them, and it took them three years to get to that point. But guess what? As they were aging out, Kawhi was able to step in. The problem with Oklahoma City is that every everybody that, uh, that, that Sam Presti was drafting – were players that were trying to come in and be a complimentary piece to this organization, to the team that they had, to the core that they had. And that's really hard to do when players want to be the man themselves. Best example is Reggie Jackson. He's probably one of the better draft picks we had to be had to get rid of. Why? Reggie wanted to be the man. Russ got hurt. Reggie took over. He's like, I should be starting. You can put him at the two or something. I should be starting. And then it became, then it got to the point where he didn't want to pass the ball. He wanted to do his own thing. And that's when he got froze out and they had to trade him. So that's tough. After drafting, after the top 10 picks, it's tough. I mean, hell, top 10 picks are hard to do. Look at Phoenix, Philadelphia. Look at them when they were drafting for years trying to figure out their 
tanking process and they finally were able to hit with two guys and a slew of additional players you know it it's not easy so that's my point and so there's always exceptions to the rule the majority is never the exception it's always an exception here and there but it's hard so for the non lack of trying that's the one thing i've always said Presti's always done and, and here in Oklahoma City, we have a similar problem that they had in Denver. So I like to bring up Masai Ujiri. I think he's a phenomenal general manager. He did really good in Denver. But he hit his ceiling in Denver and realized it really quickly. He realized that that, that just there was no way that he was going to be able to, as successful as the team was being, there was no way he was going to get any further with the, with the way the white roster was being constructed. So he left Denver. They actually got better when he left. They still ain't won anything. And they keep losing their players. But guess what? They got better and they're staying consistent. So they have a solidly run organization, but they can't attract talent good enough to to, to, to keep them afloat to where they're going for actual contention. I mean, Jokic is great, but they drafted him and stashed him for like four years, three or four years before they actually brought him over here. So that tells you it's not that easy to just draft somebody and think you're going to plug and play them immediately. That's one of the big reasons why, of course, I uh, I, I I put my cape on for Sam Presti. And then same problems you think about certain teams like Charlotte, Indiana, Orlando. I mean, Seattle had this big problem too before Presti got there. It's, it's, it's just attracting the talent and free agents, being a free agent destination. Contrary to popular belief, Oklahoma City is not a free agent destination. No, it's not popular belief. We all know this. And the one thing to think about is, and there was a tweet by, uh, I can't think of who it was off the top of my head, but conversation was around glamour cities and players going to go play there. And certain cities, players just don't want to go to. The question is why? I mean, how are they treated there? Indianapolis really ain't drawing pre-agents. I mean, I give it to Paul George. He gave them the, the seven years. He gave it to them. And then he told him, I'm not going to sign an extension, so your best bet is to trade me. And I have no problem with players saying that. I have never had a problem with a player saying, hey, I'm not signing my extension, so you may as well trade me. If not, I'm going to play out my contract, but it's your best bet to trade me. I'm going to walk. Anthony Davis did that. He did it too. He did it a year early, but guess what he told them? He gave them two years to figure out a way to trade him and get assets back. He just told them he was. He never said he wasn't playing. He never said that he was sitting out. He said that I'm not coming back. The Oklahoma City situation with Paul George was a little different. He asked to be traded early because of discontent. And I'll get on that a little bit later. I'll go that on the on the next side with everything. But I'm not sure why people feel as if Sam Presti has been sitting on his hands this whole time. Yeah, remember, Oklahoma City doesn't really have any draft picks for the next few years. Why? Because they kept trading for players. They traded for Victor Oladipo and uh, the draft pick that ended up being uh, Dominus Sabonis. Dominus Sabonis. Um, they sent out Serge Ibaka, sent out his contract because they need to get rid of him. He was kind of getting discontent being here and got to the point where that we were at our ceiling with him. So they got Victor Oladipo, tried, tried that out. Kevin decided not to come back, which lost out on Al Horford. And so the team tried to move forward. The next year, Paul George was available. So guess what Oklahoma City did? They traded for him. They traded for him. Guess who else they traded for? Jeremy Grant. So Presti is out here making these moves and trying to do different things. It's just not, not everything is falling. Jeremy Grant was a great asset. And you get to be fun and 
and do me a favor. Go into Twitter and Google Jeremy Grant trade when it happened the year that it happened. Filter it down to that year and filter the name Jeremy Grant. And you'll see all the people complaining about that trade. Who is he? Why would you trade for him? He can't contribute today, and now everybody loves Jeremy Grant. Presley knows what he's doing. A lot of the times he's not perfect, but he does know what he's doing when it comes to stuff. So I'm looking back at it or not last season. So if Oklahoma City had paid Stephen Adams half of what he's making, we'll say 12 and something million, they were still over the cap and they weren't signing any free agents. You can only offer what you can. I think Oklahoma City was like in the 140s. So when you broke, you broke. But the thing is they went all in. And you got to look at all the players we have on the roster of 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 why it's tough. They traded for Dennis Schroeder, got rid of Carmelo Anthony's terrible contract. They took half of it back. So they cut his contract basically in half, just just above half to cut down on that cap, on that piece, on that um on the luxury tax bill and make it to where they had more flexibility. I mean, the goal is to get under so you can be more flexible, not really to just not play the tax, but but being under allows flexibility. It allows for you to go over the tax. You can't go over the tax if you ain't got the space to do it. And so Oklahoma City was doing that. Presty was making those type of moves. And so, like I said, Presty's not perfect, but at the same time, he was making those attempts. So then it always goes back. One of everybody's favorite conversations is about James Harden trade. And I've talked about this, you know, to my face is blue, but I'll continue to make mention of that is that no matter what, no matter hypotheticals you put out there with that, the James Harden trade was the best trade for them to do at the time. It was. Yes, we could have kept James Harden. We might have won a championship that year, but everybody was leaving afterwards. I feel like the way Oklahoma City was constructed and the way that the team operates is that once everybody hit that second extension, because every rookie signs the first one, very rare if they don't. If if they had won a championship with James Harden that next season, Russell Westbrook not getting hurt because Patrick Beverly wouldn't have been playing in the playoffs because the Rockets wouldn't have made it because they didn't have anybody to lead them there. If that would all went down, they won the championship that next season, they probably would have tried to reel off. They probably would have been playing just like um, playing the Heat every year, just like the um, – the Warriors were playing the Cavs every year for four years, and then everybody would have been gone. Nobody would have been on the roster at that point. And I'm just being real. Because Oklahoma City is not a place, a destination place for players to stay for the rest of their lives. It's not. It's just not how it's built. Unless you're from here or even close to here, most of those players don't want to be here. Most players don't even want to go home, period. The only thing we've got going for ourselves is that we are a professional team. And we have to pay players. And so players are going to come because they're going to get paid. But your top tier guys, the one that want to win chip after chip after chip, it doesn't always make it a destination location. Now, what helps the organization is the way that they treat players and the way they take care of them and the way Presty does things. Be doing things in silence the way they do. It helps get people wanting to potentially come. But Oklahoma City would never be a destination. So to be honest, you know, and we go through that and you look at it, the Harden trade was not a bad idea. Remember, we were the number one seed right afterwards. If injuries didn't happen, Oklahoma City would have one ring in between the time that they traded James Harden. And guess what everybody would say? That was a very good job by Sam Presti. But we can't say that. You don't know why? Because Russell Westbrook was gone for, a full, for, for just about a full season, for a full year, almost a full year. I think he was gone for nine months because he came back in February. So you lost him. That was the Kevin Durant MVP season. You're the real MVP. Next year, what happens? Serge Ibaka gets hurt 
right before they play San Antonio, and they need Serge Ibaka versus San Antonio because of the way that Tim Duncan was playing. They kind of needed that defensive presence. Couldn't scheme around it. We had no other real big man to really hold it down. So we lost that. Hell, remember Oklahoma City traded for Enos Cantor? Everybody was happy about Enos Cantor having the beer, the Stash brothers? Yeah, they traded, made a trade with Utah and got Enos Cantor too when they traded Reggie Jackson. Oklahoma City, when it comes to Sam Preston, he's made attempts. But anyway, I digress off of that. All those injuries in between those are not something you can control. Now, you can try to put players out there, and you can hope that you draft a player that you stash on the bench, and four years later you can put him in and he averages 40 points a game. That would be great. If it was, if it was, That would be great. Every team would do it if they could, but guess what? Nobody else is doing that. How many teams do you know that got a guy coming off the bench that's dropping those type of numbers? That's not a veteran six-man. Jason Terry was. Lou Williams currently is. So is Jamal Crawford. As they became veterans, they became dominant six men. And it takes years for these guys to develop. Because remember, we're getting players younger and younger. Just like we was getting them at 18, we're still getting them at 19. Before, in the 90s, we were getting them at 20, 21, 22. Way more developed, way more mentally prepared. Their, their basketball IQ was a lot higher. So at that point, we didn't have to worry about it. But today, the way things are built today, Yes, we don't have the time to develop these guys like we need to. So, yeah, the way that we are doing things in Oklahoma City, we're trying. Sam Presti is busting his butt. But he's really not fully to blame. He takes a portion of it. And I understand why he went ahead and took the demand of Paul George. Like I said, this is going to be an extended segment talking about this because this is kind of something I'm passionate about. And I don't understand the lack of optimism on a guy who has shown that he makes some really good attempts. Is Paul George basically gave Sam Presti an out. He gave him the opportunity to go ahead and let go of what we currently have and start the rebuilding process. And not really even rebuilding, just moving things around. And you guys are going to be surprised on how good Oklahoma City is actually going to be this coming season mainly because the players that we have on the roster couldn't play before. You know what I mean? Like, you're not playing Hamadou Diallo extended minutes in key games. I watched him in the G League, and against G Leaguers, you could barely play him a full game. He's very he's a, he's a great potential. I mean, he's got the opportunity. And, the, and, and, and Basley that we just drafted, I think Darius Basley is going to be really good too. He's got great potential. We have to see what they're going to develop into. And it takes time. I know that you guys don't have that. But you got to also remember another thing, too, is that one of the big reasons why Sam Presti probably let Paul George go and let him walk because he wanted to walk is the landscape of free agency and trades wasn't very attractive this year. All the top people were available. All the top people wanted max money. They all did. So if you want to make a get a player and make a trade, you're going to have to find a way to do one or two things. If you want to do a signing trade, you got to get underneath the $138 million hard cap apron. Only way they were going to get on that $138 million was to dump a lot of players. And teams aren't giving up aren't teams aren't taking in salaries unless you're giving up an asset. And you know what that asset has to be? A draft pick. So you have to find a way to dump all of these salaries and get give up a draft pick to do it. Like people aren't, that's, that was the thing. That was the way that Sam Percy was moving stuff around 
His teams were like, I need some second-round picks. I need some first-round picks. And that's not easy to do. You've got to give up assets in order to make those type of salary-dumping trades. How do you think we got rid of Carmelo Anthony? We gave up, we gave up a draft pick. And we took a, dra- a contract that they wanted to get rid of anyway. So it helps. That's what helped in that situation. And so at this point, Sam Presti was able to acquire all this stuff because when he looked around and tried to make trades, hell, I bet you I guarantee he called Washington about Bradley Bill because the Clippers called about Bradley Bill. And guess what the, the and guess what the wizard said? We good. Now, think about it. Oklahoma City traded for Paul George and got a slew of picks. I think the total was six. Four from the Clippers, two from Miami. And they were all owned by the Clippers. And in pick swaps afterwards. Why couldn't the Clippers do the same thing for Bradley Bill or James Harden? They tried for both of them. Reading this article from The Athletic, they tried for both. On the flip side, for Kawhi Leonard, if you don't have a subscription there and you love sports, you need to get a subscription and just enjoy it. Great writing, phenomenal information. But that was the thing. They tried for both of them. And Kawhi Leonard made phone calls to all the other guys to try to get him, try to get... Kevin Durant first. Then he tried Jimmy Butler. Paul George was third on his list. And the only reason why it worked out is because Oklahoma City was stagnant and there was no way for them to grab any additional players. Yes, everybody's saying, well, you should have traded for this player. Got to get the other team to agree for the trade too. And you can't get team to agree to a trade unless you got an asset to send them. And guess what? Oklahoma City ain't got no first round draft picks no more. They sent them for Jeremy Grant. <laughs> they sent them for players already. So what what else do you guys expect someone to do? And that's and I think that's where it led to the conversation around Paul George wanting to leave. So going into that, Sam Presti had his presser today, and he talked about all that. You know, I mentioned I read kind of an excerpt about the small uh, markets, and then he talked about um, Paul George and Paul. And you know, he said that hey, you, that they were saying that there was discontent between the Thunder and Paul George, they communicated the discontent and expected interest in the franchise possibly making significant changes. And there have been frustration, of course, because they got a sec- a third straight first-round exit, two straight with Paul George and Russell Westbrook together. This is what makes it funny is that, you know, Sam Presley came out and was like, what discontent? What was the – I mean, it's like well, I mean, it's like pancakes. Were they not fluffy enough? Because for in our mind – it was all systems go for the, this season. We were done. We were ready to get going. We were trying to add pieces. We were going to wait till what else is available and go after it. So basically, Presti had the, in the opinion in conversations with Russell Westbrook and Paul George that they were prepared to go into the season, and then the beginning of J- July happened. So no, there was no thought behind that. But because that trade opportunity came up, it honestly gave an opportunity to kind of let Russell Westbrook go. And as much as I love Russ, and I think that he's a great player and I love his work ethic and and he is uh, marginalized because he's not very efficient and certain things that he does frustrates everybody. He was actually, it was time for him to go. You got to remember, he's had four surgeries, five surgeries, five surgeries on his knee since he tore it. A lot of cleanup surgeries and a lot of uh uh, inflammation, clearing clearing up to help with stiffness, etc. He's had a lot of surgeries. And then Paul George is coming off two shoulder surgeries. Not one, but two. One on each shoulder. And he's not going to be ready for training camp. So if you really look at it, and then Russ had another procedure, a precautionary one, he's been on the knife a lot 
especially going at 30. Paul George at, what, 29? He's having two shoulder surgeries, and he had an injury the season before. The team just couldn't stay healthy. And because the team couldn't stay healthy, I understand why he went ahead and pulled the trigger and said, you know what, I'll let go of the two guys that stay that can't stay healthy and see if we can rebuild with a team that can stay healthy. It happens. Now, taking back the Chris Paul trip uh, piece, you know, I mentioned it on the show before that I understood why he did it. That's where Russ wanted to go. And so it makes me laugh because Russ wanted to go there and everybody's like, oh, there's no way this is going to work. But everybody thinks that the James Harden trade was dumb and that that was going to work at that point. I don't know if you guys realize, but Russell Westbrook is the same Russell Westbrook from when he got drafted. Ain't no different. The only person game that's changed is James Harden. He added that double, double, triple step back. That's no longer a travel, but everyone thinks it's a travel, but it's not a travel. He's added that piece to his game, but Russell Westbrook has been the same guy since day one, which is what everyone loves about him, and which I love about him too, is that he just works his ass off, and that's it. But the discontent, Presti's like, that wasn't there. And then, and then when it came to being mutual, he's like, this wasn't mutual. This was just what he wanted to do. I never said I wanted to trade him. I wasn't even looking to trade him. Now, there are rumblings that they were potentially looking to trade uh, Russell Westbrook, but I don't believe those all the way. I mean, it probably were conversations. The team's asking. Yeah, teams ask that stuff all the time. They're like, hey, you be interested in letting no boy go? And, of course, he's probably like, I mean, it depends. What do you got to offer? And ain't nobody got no, nothing to offer. So, in conclusion to everything that I'm saying is, Sam Presti's out there busting his butt. Let the man do his work. If anything, you can stop being a fan. Doesn't bother me either. I just feel like we need to understand when you have a front office that actually is making an attempt and look like they know what they are doing, even though it isn't, isn't ever going to be perfect. Okay, so... Um, Players and being broke. So there's been articles floating around about players being broke. And Adrian Peterson recently talked about how he lost uh, tens of millions of dollars because of bad investments and everything. And his lawyer is um, trying to help him with uh, his lawyer had put out a statement about it. And it was talking about how he took out a loan from a car dealership of six point two million. And he was being sued by them because he defaulted on it. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, like. Did he go to like a buy here, pay here? They have like a loan service too? Because that $6.2 million sounds like a lot of money to be able to loan out of a car dealership. Like what else are they dealing out there? I mean, unless it's a massive dealership that's bringing in tens of millions a year or tens of millions a month, $6.2 sounds like a lot of money to loan. But it's happening. And so Chris Paul is uh, advocating for um, – Financial literacy. And he's always talking, he's talking about how nobody talks about money in the locker room. And I get that. I get why players don't talk about money in the locker room. Cause y'all don't talk about money at work. How many of y'all talk to y'all coworkers about how much y'all make a year? Right? Not that many of us do that. Now there are some industries where it makes sense because of leverage and conversations around contracts. And I get the, the, the thought process that players should be talking about how much money they got or AKA pocket watching because all of their money is public information. Like you can go Google how much somebody's making a year because they have these absurd contracts. And I think that the reason why these contracts are out there like that is because it's kind of 
gets you interested in the game. And at the same time, it also makes you judge as if you can judge what people do with their money because you look at yourself. What do you do with yours? Right. I definitely can't talk about nobody way they work with their money. Uh, I ain't broke, but I ain't rich. So, um, but, so Chris Paul thinks that, you know, he said, I've heard so many stories. That's why I try to talk to guys because it happens. This is a short career. In the grand scheme of life, this is a short career. You try to maximize it as much as possible. There's rookie. There's a, the rookie transition program and all these different players that try to help you. But then when you come to into the NBA 18 years old, you're just trying to think about basketball, basketball, basketball. You don't even understand what health insurance is. And I agree. The younger you are that you get money, the more irresponsible you are with money. Believe me, I remember being 18 and just being broke. Even when I was making good money working at uh, Sears doing sales, I was making some good coin for my age. Guess what? I was still broke. Had no real bills. Was getting fat financial aid checks, Pell Grant money. Still broke. I actually didn't have to start getting loans until later on in my college career when I was BSing around. But yeah, that's the thing. Nobody talks about money like that. It's an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people because a lot of people don't understand what to do. And if you really think about it, when these guys go into the league at 18, what's the first thing they need, they need, you guys say they need to do? You need to go find yourself a financial advisor. Can you tell me your name of your financial advisor? Can you? Think about it because a lot of people can't. I can because I have one, but I don't have one like they need. And I got people that do investments for me that I, I put money into like IRA or something like that. But, you know, not at the disposable income that they have. A lot of people that see them, they go after that bread. They go after them. They go after them. They see them as their opportunity to move themselves up, not to really just make the player move up too. And then they start running into shady business deals, shady investments and stuff. And it's always people that they don't know. And so a lot of these players are broke mainly because they're also considered the um, the savior for their community, for their family. Players try to live their lives whatever way they live their lives, but they're also considered that savior. They're that they're saving grace for people. I mean, think about it. Players be out here having like 30 or 40 people on their um on the payroll, right? Right? Why? Because the neighborhood believes that one people believe in general that when you start making money, when you get rich at that age, you should help everybody else behind you and help their the way up. But the problem is is a lot of these players don't know how to do it. And it's hard to go get some advice from someone at the age of 18 years old only because most of y'all at 16 didn't even listen to y'all's parents. You thought you knew more than them. Remember that? Think about it. What makes you think these players can understand that or comprehend it? Most of them don't understand how money works, how money disappears really, really fast. I've learned that before in a couple of hard ways. I've gotten big lumps of some. I look up and like, God, dog, every dime is gone now. What did I buy? What did I do? Hell, we burn money on food like crazy. Not even really fancy trips or anything. It, stuff like that happens. It's commonplace. It's very common. And that's the big deal. So from that, you have to remember that they don't understand how 
things work. And so they're learning. They're learning in a bad way. And I like that Chris Paul wants to try to advocate for these players and teach them financial literacy. Uh, And the league has this stuff. They have the symposiums. They have all this stuff to put in front of them. And it's just the players still just end up in bad spots. And, of course, some of their spending can be attributed to that. But a lot of the times, most players go broke from divorces, bad real estate deals, taxes. That's the ones that kick everybody's butt. And then within their short career, they have to figure out what to do and how to have enough money to last for the rest of their lives. Because not everybody's super financially literate. Shaq had a really good one. And it's funny how they talk about with him, he he burnt through his first paycheck. Burnt like a million in the first day. His entire first paycheck in one day. Destroyed it. Was gone. And guess what? His financial advisor called him, cussed him out, told him that he was stupid. And boom. So, yeah, they're going through all of that. And then right now they're trying to figure out how to, like I said, navigate through the world. So anyway, Shaq's situation is, is, is a great example of someone that was blessed. Allen Iverson was the same way. He had a financial advisor, if I'm correct. They stashed some of his money away from him. I think it was like $25 million or something. They, in theory, stole it from him. But they hid it from him. And they put it like an annuity that wasn't going to pay out until he got closer to 50 to where it would pay out a million dollars a year for the rest of his life. That right there is how you take care of somebody. And so this dude's got money coming annually from that. Not everybody has someone like that to take care of. I mean, Shaq talks about going to go buy Mercedes Benz, $150,000 Mercedes and stuff. But that's what players do. I mean, you live the lifestyle. That's the glamour world that you get into. And so I understand Chris Paul's angle, and I really hope that he is successful with it. A lot of people don't like that dude. But I do get how he wants to take care of him because players talk about, I mean, they, that documentary broke really broke my heart of anything, but I understood. I understand that when everybody's at your pockets because you got money, everybody's coming to you for help. And a lot of the times you feel bad if you don't help them. So you want to help people go ask somebody, you know, that makes just just even just say six figures and ask them, Hey, how often family come to you for help? How do you feel about not helping them? You feel bad. And people know you're doing good because, you know, when you're making good money, buy yourself a nicer car. You get yourself a nicer home. You take care of yourself. Put your kids in a nicer school. Right? So then you feel guilty about not helping. And so that's kind of the key piece that we have to understand with these players and put it in perspective and understand that they're only human just, just like you. So I'm going to wrap this bad boy up talking about Rich Paul. All right. So there was an article out there talking about how uh, Rich Paul and Marcus Morris had, uh, well, Marcus Morris supposedly fired. I'm sorry, Marquise Morris fired. Uh, no, no, all right. I was right. Marcus Morris. The Morris. Those twins always throw me off. Marcus Morris fired Rich Paul because uh Marcus decided to renege on a deal he made with San Antonio to go sign a bigger contract with the uh, Knicks. 
But there was a rumor that the Clippers had also offered more. It's like a $40 million deal over two years, three years. So, of course, that was the biggest deal of the three, and that and that Rich Paul convinced him not to take it. And the conspiracy theory behind that is, is that that Rich Paul was trying to protect LeBron. All right, look. Rich Paul and LeBron James are good friends. LeBron James did the right thing about bringing his boys up by giving them jobs so they can make their own money. He's got one of them that's his personal, quote-unquote, assistant and bodyguard. He's with them all the time. Like, he's, he's, he's Ace Boon Coon. You got Maverick that runs the LRMR uh, marketing company. So he runs the marketing and the, the brand management and all that stuff. And then Rich Paul took a job with Leon Rose uh, as an agent and – him and Braun became close when they were in high school when Rich was out there slanging throwbacks. And now Rich Paul is one of the bigger agents in, in, um, in, in the NBA. And the problem is, is that Rich, and as much as everybody hates on this dude, the thing that Rich Paul does that other people can't do, he relates to the players. He's young guy. He's black. He's young. He relates to the players, and he grew up in a lot of the players' era. So he understands. I mean, he's my age now, but a lot of the younger guys still relate to him because he's still younger, and he's the agent of the considered the best player in the world. So everybody's thinking that he's trying to finagle things to help LeBron win more championships. It's preposterous. It's, it's ridiculous to think that he would do that because Rich Paul's trying to make money. I don't care what anybody say. Money is way more motivating than helping your friend win anything. And believe me, Rich Paul ain't got LeBron money. So he ain't at the point of, oh, well, just, you know, that amount of money is about the same as no, no, no. He's making agent money, which is 10% of what his clientele is bringing in. It, hell, it might even be lower. He might be 8%. He might undercut everybody else just because he can. Keeping it a hundred. If I could, I would. I'd take 6% off everybody. I don't need to live the overly lavish life. I just need to make a few million a year. and I'm Gucci. And by doing that, I can build up a clientele base. But that's what he's doing. He's building up a clientele base with a lot of high-profile players. And so, yeah, there are some clutch sports players that are ending up with the Lakers. Kyle Kuzma's probably next. But remember that once these players start to get better, he's going to probably send them to where they can get the most money. Marcus Morris reneging on that deal with San Antonio, and I think that was by his own choice. And I think that's why they mutually parted ways, which makes sense. Because I wouldn't want to uh, represent a guy that's going to just bounce like that. It's it's technically disrespectful when you kind of say, and it's it kind of kind of say that you he's this dude's trying to build up something for LeBron. Because it's funny because Marcus Morris was like. He turned out a $41 million three-year deal with the Clippers and, and instead agreed to a two-year deal at $10 million, $20 million with the Spurs. He left that for a one-year deal of $15 million with the with the Knicks instead. And then Marcus told everybody, denied the notion that he, that, that Rich Paul told him to pass on the Clippers deal to take, to help out LeBron. He's like, that's not true. He never told me not to take the deal for a long time, as I've known Rich, and that's someone I've loved for, that's still my guy, he has been great in terms of advice. He told me he wanted me to take the Clipper deal. He gave me advice. He wanted him to go to the Clippers. 
he wanted to go to the Clippers. But he he changed his mind. He changed his mind. He decided he wanted to check out the, the Spurs deal. So why would he turn down a deal from the Clippers if it was offered up? That would have been a great deal. And at the time, to be honest, for the Clippers, that would have been bad for the Clippers to even trying to acquire Paul George. That actually would have been the best thing possible. If Marcus Morris goes to the Clippers at the time they got him, that makes it hard for them to get Paul George. Financially, they'd be a little bit more strapped. So, yeah, if he wanted to help LeBron, he probably should have made Marcus Morris go there because, kind of honestly, Marcus Morris ain't got that much in the tank. He's got enough, but he ain't got that much. So I think it's funny that everybody feels like this guy's really working his butt off to help LeBron when we all know he ain't. He's just doing his own job, trying to make his own money, doing his own thing. And I got mad props for Rich Paul. He's making it happen. Something that a lot of us dreamed that we could do. So I appreciate you joining me as usual here on the Half a Bird Sports Show on the Solo Weekend Show. Thanks for hanging on with me. Listen to me rant about uh, Sam Presti and everything. So for Mike, Bob, Wendy, thank you for doing your th- doing your thing. Always appreciate you guys working in the backgrounds. Me and Jimmy will be back soon next week. Our 200th show is coming up, so we're going to definitely do that together. But we're calculating when it's going to show up. We'll let you know when. Here on the Happy Birth Sports Show. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.